0: Hey folks, Matt Hunsaker here for the State Tax Show. This episode is part one in what will be an ongoing series on state taxation of software and cloud computing. So for some time now, I've been teasing a series on taxation of software, but it just seems like such a momentous project that I can't quite get started on it. But that ends today. We are kicking off the series. I really have no idea how many episodes it will take, but it's probably going to be quite a few. And I doubt that I'm going to be able to keep them in consecutive order because we're going to have to slip in new developments as we go along. So if this interests you, just keep your eyes open for new episodes in this series. I hope to get them all released uh, sometime probably in the next couple months. Hopefully I haven't bitten off more than I can chew. Let's ease into it with a high-level discussion of how taxation of software has evolved. This is going to be a little historical, but I think it's really helpful as a foundation to understand why we have some of the quirks that we still have in the way states treat software. And we're going to be principally talking about sales tax for now. So as you all know, when sales tax started out, it was pretty much just imposed on tangible personal property, you know, property that can be held or touched, or as some of the state definitions put it, something that's perceptible to the senses. And that worked pretty well for several decades before software came into existence. And even when it did come into existence, it lasted for a while longer as software was not really a large part of the economy. Now, when software began to catch states' eyes, I don't know, probably somewhere in the early 1970s, there was a whole series of cases about whether software delivered on tangible media was tangible personal property. You see, states had to find a way to shoehorn these ones and zeros into the tangible world in order to tax it. So many of these early cases looked at whether the software should be viewed as an intangible intellectual property, or on the other hand, whether the states ought to treat it as tangible personal property because it was delivered on, say, on punch cards if you're old enough to remember those, or on magnetic tapes or discs. One of the first cases that really addressed this at a state Supreme Court level, in fact, I think it might be the very first case. Some state tax historian will probably let me know. That case was called Commerce Union Bank, and it came out of Tennessee. In that case, a bank purchased some software, and the vendor delivered it to them, on tangible media. I think it was magnetic tapes. So the court had to decide whether the bank purchased tangible personal property, you know, that is the tapes, or whether it purchased an intangible asset. The court went with the latter. And here's a quote that I pulled out of the opinion that really sums up their reasoning. And I may paraphrase it a little bit. In the case at bar, no product is created. What is created and sold here is information. And the magnetic tapes which contain this information are only a method of transmitting these intellectual creations from the original to the user. It is merely incidental that these intangibles are transmitted by way of a tangible reel of tape that is not even retained by the user. So you can see there that the court just really looked to what the software was and ignore the tangible component as just kind of being an incidental way of delivering the intangible. And a bunch of court cases came out later that basically relied on the same or similar rationale as in Commerce Union Bank. In a lot of those cases, the states argued that the software on media was pretty much the same as an audio tape or record or a film even, which all were taxable. And courts usually got around this argument by saying that the software could exist without the media. Say, for example, if it were loaded on a computer. But the films and music couldn't. They needed that media to even exist. Other courts focused on how the music and video recordings could be, and were really meant to be, reused. But the media for software was often just a one-time vehicle to just get it on the computer. A few of these cases got into the doctrine of the true object of the transaction test. You know, in other words, was the true object the software or the media that was embedded on? And a few courts used this to conclude that the software was non-taxable, even if it showed up on media. But not everything was rosy for taxpayers. Many courts saw things the opposite way and didn't buy into this true object construct. For example, in Vermont, the court shot down an argument that software could have been delivered over the telephone. And they shot down by basically saying, well, if you didn't want to be taxable, you should have done it that way. We have to respect the form of the transaction. And then Maryland shot down the single use argument for distinguishing from audio and video media. And they did this kind of a cute way. They, they referenced how there were single-use dress patterns. I don't know if people still make dresses from patterns. And they use that as an example of a single-use item that is essentially intangible property, but is still taxable. The intangible there being the dimensions and style of the dress. So fast forward, and where are we at now? Well, as we get into this, we will see that most states have gotten around the tangible personal property problem by simply modernizing their statutes. But there's one little quirk that remains in a number of states. You see, if a state got the court to agree that software is tangible personal property when delivered on tangible media, then problems arise if the software companies send reps to their clients with media, have them load the software onto the customer's computers, and then take the media home with them. These are often called vote-and-leave installations. In this case, and the now more common case of downloaded software, courts have struggled with the tangible personal property paradigm. But at the end of the day, most states and their legislatures have concluded that there is no real policy reason to treat software sent on a disposable disk differently than that same software sent over the Internet or installed in a load and leave transaction. So this is less of an issue now, and it's becoming even less of an issue each day. But it highlights the difficulty in the tech world that comes from states trying to take their outdated laws and fit them to a modern economy and modern products. And I highlight this because this is going to be a constant theme as we go throughout this series. Well, that should be enough for now. I think our next episode, we will talk about canned versus custom software and the tangible personal property versus service distinction. This can still be a hot button issue in its own right, but the policies that are kind of embedded in this, in this issue often set the stage for how we treat cloud computing, which is going to be a very big part of this series. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of the State Tax Show. Until then, have yourselves a great week. The State Tax Show podcast is produced by Baker & Hostetler, LLP, and is for informational purposes only. It is intended to inform our clients and other friends of the firm about current legal developments of general interest us should not be construed as legal advice, and listeners should not act upon the information contained in this podcast without professional counsel. In some jurisdictions, this podcast may constitute attorney advertising. Please visit BankerLaw.com for more information about our practices and experience.